It will have been 1,432 days since Germany lifted the World Cup trophy in Rio de Janeiro, but the wait finally comes to an end on Thursday as unfancied host Russia faced unfancied opponent Saudi Arabia in a first match that quite clearly doesn't seem that fancy. In this edition of The Only Stat That Matters, we'll be previewing the 2018 World Cup finals for you all based on Opta's treasure chest of football data. We'll give you the best insights ahead of the tournament and provide you some snippets of information to give you the edge in the inevitable debates with your mates. Once again this week, I'm joined by esteemed stats man to the stars, Duncan Alexander. Hello. And official scientist of football data, Tom Warville. Hi, Matt. Duncan, Tom, are you both excited about what the upcoming 64-game feast of football will bring? Yeah, I am, yeah. I mean, I think everyone has probably experienced in the last week the uh, the slow emergence of World Cup fever. You know, you get all the all the wall charts and all the uh, the preview guides and, and everything, and it just starts to, you know... I always think that in the winter, World Cups feel a bit strange. You can't imagine looking forward to one, and then suddenly when it comes around to this time of year, um, everyone is extremely excited. Yeah, I think once the squads are announced, isn't it? That's when the excitement kicks in, and then you've got all the pre-tournament friendlies. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to produce another bit of content to the ever-growing masses of <laughs> preview content ahead of the World Cup. But yeah, very, very excited. Uh, can't wait for it to get started on today. Brilliant. So to kick off this episode, Duncan has worked his magic to put together yet another tantalising test for you all. He'll be setting you the question now for you to work out before he reveals the answer at the end of the show. So, Dunk, do you want to fire your quiz question over? Yep. So as many of you might know, Opta have gone back and uh, analysed every World Cup from 1966 to the present day. So that gives us a pretty hefty database. Um had a look at headed goals for England because England don't score headed goals anymore because they're now the most beautiful passing team in world <laughs> football. But um, only two players in the World Cups for England, 1966 to present, have scored two headed goals. Who are those two players? A cracker. So, at Opta, the men behind the scenes have been working extra hard to crunch all the numbers and come up with a 100% foolproof World Cup predictor. But where we are literally about to tell you who wins the 2018 World Cups, don't blame us if we ruin the surprise. Tom, can you tell us how this prediction model is worked out? Yeah, sure. So we've taken result data from the past few seasons for all the teams that have competed in international fixtures. Uh, and for each team, we're able to produce an attacking and defensive strength. Uh, from this, we can take that and for any game, kind of simulate how likely they are to win a given game, what the scoreline might be. And given that information, we can simulate the World Cup or any fixture that takes place within the World Cup. So we've simulated the World Cup 100,000 times using this data and it can give us group by group estimates of who's likely to progress and also an overall uh, outcome for the final of who's going to win the World Cup. Brilliant. So... I guess we, we'll start by looking at group by group. Um, we'll sort of give you a preview of overall the World Cup at the end of that. Um, so first of all, we're going to head off with Group A. So in Group A, we have Russia, Saudi Arabia, Egypt and Uruguay. Interestingly, three of the seven oldest squads are in this group, and it's also the worst quality group in terms of cumulative FIFA ranking. So Tom, what do the stats say about Group A? We have a really, really tight group, actually, in terms of which teams are likely to make the round of 16. So top of the group, we have Uruguay, who have a 59% chance of reaching the next round. Second, we have Russia, with a pretty much a coin flip, 51% chance of reaching the next round. Next, we have Egypt, 48, 47% chance sorry, of reaching the next round. And then finally, in fourth place, Saudi Arabia, with a 44% chance of reaching the next round. So, as you can see, fairly compact. Only Uruguay, the, the clear favourite here, but only by a small margin. So I guess with... 
our sort of own viewpoint as well, I'd say Uruguay, you've got a link, are going to win this group really ahead of the other three, even though it contains the host Russia. Uh, but I think the seeding is always going to be a bit distorted when you have a group containing the hosts who aren't that strong because they'll always be in top seed. So that's why we have a group with one outstanding team, I say, and three could qualifies. Yeah, I think Uruguay, like you say, are a nice choice. Um, of course, Edison Cavani and Luis Suarez scored 71 goals between them at club level last year. and um, they yeah, have... Only six players scored more than that in the top five leagues last season. So those, those two really are in the top 10 of most lethal strikers in Europe around. So. Yeah. And looking at their squad, though, the one standout for me is there's no clear sort of central midfield presence. A lot of other teams have standout defenders, standout attackers, and also have the, the piece in the middle as well. So someone maybe who could fill that is uh, Lucas Torreira, who's a sort of deep-lying midfield playmaker who might be one to watch at the World Cup. Yeah, and interesting as well, they have a centre-back partnership that play together at club level at Atletico as well. So Jose Jimenez and Diego Godin, they played together. They started 20 games alongside each other this season, and they only lost three of those. So it's quite important that they can then trans- transition that into the World Cup tournament at an international level. I think this group stood out when it was drawn as well because obviously Egypt and Mo Salah, I mean, you know, stats bear repeating, but 44 goals. Uh, Andy Messi scored more last season. Um, and he was obviously their key man in the qualifiers as well. But I mean, whether he's going to be fully fit or not remains to be seen. Um, whether he stops hanging around with dodgy people remains to be seen. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, obviously Russia playing Saudi Arabia first, you know, there's a good chance there for Saudi Arabia to spring a bit of a surprise. Um, and you would imagine that in the other game, you know, whoever, basically there's the golden rule in World Cups in, in groups of three games, don't lose your first game. That's what happened to England last time. Um, Didn't so, do Italy any good though, <laughs> True. <laughs> um, unless you're Spain, obviously in 2010, and it's fine. But, um, yeah, so I think, as always, the, the opening game is going to be a key key moment for all the teams in this group. So on Russia, what do we think about them as, as like to progress through the groups as a host nation? Could they be the worst host nation in terms of performance in the group stages. The aim is that the previous worst home nation was South Africa in 2010. They failed to get out of the group stage and they only won four points. So can Russia do worse? I think a lot of people are looking at their recent form and they have, you know, I think they've gone seven games without a win, which isn't great. But then I think back to when uh, England hosted Euro 96 and the performances in that two-year period where there were no competitive games under Terry Venables was pretty ropey. And, you know, they, they didn't, it's quite hard to get motivated for a series of friendlies, especially when you know you've got the the jamboree of a World Cup waiting. So I think Russia, I think they're going to be better than people think they are. So if we compare them to England, Euro 96, and Fedel Smolov, sorry for the pronunciation, could be the Alan Shearer of their uh, team. He scored 52 goals in 73 games in the Russian Premier League since the start of 2015-16. And that's more than any other player in that division in that period. So he's obviously their main goal threat. and. Yep probably the major hope of getting enough goals to go through. I think interestingly in this squad, it can't be, you know, you can't have a Russian squad without having a pair of twins. So the Berezutsky sadly missed out the old uh, defensive pairing, but we've got the Moranchuks now to look forward to. A <laughs> uh, couple of 22-year-olds. Um, it's a prerequisite in the Russia squad. You <laughs> yeah. have to have a set of twins. And... You have to. And I think the one to look out for from there is, is Alexei. Um, Alexei Moranchuk, who plays for Lokomotiv Moscow. Um, he was in the top 10 in that league for expected assists last year. So that's the uh, sort of looking at the quality of passes that a player makes and how likely they are to become an assist in the Russian league. So if he gets the start, maybe uh, ahead of Smolov or, or even just a bit part minutes, he'd be one to keep an eye on. So we haven't talked much about Saudi Arabia yet in this group. Um, 
entered the tournament in a little bit of disarray. They've um, changed their manager twice since qualification and now have Juan Antonio Pizzi in charge, who failed to qualify with Chile. Um, have we got anything on, on their team, or anyone who we might be able to look out for on their side? I think the key man is um, striker Mohamed Al-Salawi of Al Nasser. He had uh, uh, 28 goals in 39 caps for Saudi Arabia, which is pretty good. Um, I mean, I remember Saudi Arabia in the 1994 World Cup where um, the Desert Pele, as he was known, scored that really good goal. Saeed Oran, yeah. something like that. <laughs> something um, like that. Uh, yeah, and you know the the Saudi league is actually of a of a pretty good standard. It's you know it's a very kind of domestically focused league in the sense that you know most players will play in that in that competition. Um, but you know it's a, it's a competition that opt to cover, and you know the quality is probably maybe better than people think. Yeah, because they sent Saudi Arabia sent four players to La Liga last season. Not many of them got game time. And that was a bit of a worry ahead of the tournament that four key players who were good enough. Deemed good enough to go to La Liga, just haven't had minutes ahead of the tournament. They have got another man up front, um, 31 year old Mohamed Asiri, who he averaged a goal or assist every 86 minutes in the Saudi Pro League last year. So, eight goals and one assist in 777 minutes. So, he's a good backup to Mohamed Al Sahawawi, <laughs> if that's correct. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've got options up front. And in the opening game, it's Russia there. I mean, Russia are heavy favourites for that one, but that could be skewed because they're a host nation. So, I think Saudi Arabia have a chance of being a poor Russia side in that opening game. And then who knows? I guess they then have to sneak a point against Egypt or Uruguay and could sneak through. Yeah, I think that's why this is quite an exciting group. We don't really have any definitive answers. I think we're kind of expecting Uruguay to be quite good. But yeah, the question is very much open for Russia, Egypt or Saudi Arabia for that second spot. Yeah, one thing on Uruguay, I mean, Oscar Tabarez, their manager, is this fourth World Cup in charge. He's already taken charge of 192 games for Uruguay, which... Is impressive at club level, let alone international. Well, that's more games than Bobby Robson ever managed in the Premier League. So, you know, to do that in international football is long. So, Group B uh, has European champions Portugal, Spain, Morocco and Iran. So, uh, what do the models say about this one? So, I think we're, we're quite high on Spain, as most people will be. We give them a 74% chance of reaching the round of 16. After that, we've got Portugal, 55% chance of reaching around 16. Then Iran, 41%. And finally, Morocco, at 29%, which is the lowest uh, likelihood of reaching the round of 16 of any team that we have in the tournament. So, tough group for Morocco, facing against Spain and Portugal, but Iran may be an outside chance to pip it ahead of, Spain, ahead of Portugal. Well, yeah. Iran had a great defensive record in qualifying, so they could be a team to frustrate the so-called more oh, the bigger sides as Spain and Portugal um, so that could be one to look out yeah. for I mean Iran kept 12 clean sheets in the last 13 <laughs> qualifiers which is obviously very good and I think one thing that possibly links Spain and Portugal is that they are very talented teams but they don't necessarily uh, have out and out goal scorers I know Ronaldo is that but his World Cup record is pretty poor um, this is and basically this is his last chance to dominate a World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, you know Portugal get on against the the mass ranks of the Iranians. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if Ronaldo scores in a fourth World Cup, and if he does that, he would become only the fourth player to do it. Miroslav Klose, Pele, and Uesila. Um But it's unlikely he'll score from a direct free kick. Though his record in tournaments is appalling from direct free kicks: forty three overall, eighteen in the World Cup, twenty five at the European Championships, and he's never scored. I think with Ronaldo in qualifying, quite amazing. He took 70 shots, um, which is more than San Marino and, and Liechtenstein combined. Um, 
He also was, uh, I mean, per game, that was around eight per game. If you the bit of context on that, Harry Kane last season was taking just over four shots per 90. So doubling the amount of shots that Harry Kane took, probably including free kicks and that, but it's, uh, it's a startling amount. So I wonder if you see a bit of hero ball from, from Ronaldo where he just tries to do everything himself to the detriment of the team. But yeah, one to look out for. Yeah, quite interesting as well that Portugal in qualifying came renowned for getting the ball out wide, crossing it in. 29 open play crosses per game on average, which was more than any other European team. Could that be detrimental to them if they come up against an Iran team who defend quite deep, uh, pack the box a little bit? It'd be much harder to score from situations like that. Yeah, I wonder I wonder if, the, if they've only got sort of one game plan there and if they are relying on, on crossing the ball into the box to Ronaldo. They don't really have another properly recognised striker in that squad that might be a, a useful plan B. So, um, yeah. It would be interesting my, to see if they have. My theory in Portugal is that Ronaldo's hired a kind of King Herod figure that um, kills all children that look like they might be good at being strikers because there hasn't been one come through for a yeah. long time. Pauleta was probably the last on Nuno Gomes. So you gave Spain a 74% chance of uh, progressing to the knockout stages. Obviously, they probably they are rated as one of the best sides in the world. They have a great all-round team. And they'll be looking to become only the second nation to win the World Cup twice within the same decade after Italy in the 1930s. Probably the best goalkeeper in world football right now as well. Yep. So David De Gea, when we look at the quality of, of chances he sort of faced last year, he was likely to concede... Uh, 40 goals considering sort of the, the quality of the chance and where the goal mouth it, it ended up but he actually only conceded 26 so 14 goal swing um, is fairly big whether that's repeatable at a World Cup remains to be seen he's sat in front of or sat behind even be weird if he was sat in front but he sat behind a, a different defence so maybe that probably has an impact on the, the type of shots conceded as well but yeah and that defence obviously contains uh, Sergio Ramos and obviously the way these groups work out, he could face Egypt in the last 16 <laughs> and who plays for Egypt. Mm. So the only negative that people have said about Spain is they might not really have a, neg- um, a natural finisher in front of goal. Diego Costa is the main striker. Previously, obviously, they've had David Villa, Fernando Torres. But in qualifying, they were the most clinical side in the European qualifying uh, stages. They converted 32.4% of their shots, so they proved that they get the chance if they do put them in the back of the net. Yeah, I think that maybe for this team, they, they, they don't really need to have just one goal scorer. So they averaged 772 passes per game in, in qualifying, which is more than any other side. Um, and so, you know, they do have a ticky-tacky style, but I think it's more advanced than that now. They, they're involving more players in goal scoring, so maybe... They don't need to be reliant on Diego Costa or Iago Aspas or, or Rodrigo and they can get goals from Isco, who I think is a, a good shout for player of the tournament. Cool. And Morocco, you gave them quite a low ratio chance of uh, qualifying for the knockout stages, but they do have a couple of players who really might stand out in this tournament. Yep, so Hakim Ziyech uh, created more chances and had more assists than any player in the Eredivisie last year for Ajax. Um, so that was 143 chances and 15 assists. And also Yunus Belhanda, um, formerly of Montpellier, now currently at Galatasaray, created a league high of 81 chances last season. So, I mean, they've got the, the creative pairing in midfield. It's just have, depends if they've got the defence to stop goals going in and guys to finish off those chances up front. And don't forget the handsome he-man, Herve Renard, in charge. He won the African Nations in 2012 and 2015 with two different teams. So it proves he's got a bit of pedigree in international tournaments. And he, in 2012 was with Zambia, and they did so with the lowest pass completion rate of any team in the tournament. So the third group, Group C, has France, Australia, Peru and Denmark. 
So what does the prediction model say about that one, Tom? Uh, so France, we have as heavy favourites, 76% chance of moving to the round of 16. Then uh, very, very tight Peru and Australia. Peru, 43%. Australia, 42%. And then Denmark at 39%. So a bit tied at the bottom, but again, similar to Group B, we've got a clear favourite here, but with France. So that's quite interesting because my perception would be that Denmark are probably the second best team in that group. Australia probably the weakest. But the numbers, as you say, are very tight there. So I guess that's based on previous tournament experience as well. So. Yeah, previous tournaments were also sort of adjusting for the, the quality of sides you face. So um, yeah, Denmark might have you know, face some fairly average teams in Europe, but they've not really, performed, <laughs> not really performed that well. Um, they obviously do have a, a stand-up player in Christian Eriksen, um, created 95 goal-scoring chances in the Premier League last season, and only Kevin De Bruyne managed more. Um, so he's obviously a very key attacking outlet. Denmark um, have never scored a goal from outside the box in World Cups, and they now have a man who can possibly change that. They were very reliant on him in qualifying. Uh, he had a hand in 14 goals, which is 10 more than any other player in that side. So... If he stays fit and doesn't get suspended and keeps playing, then I guess they have a good chance of qualifying. Another one to watch for Denmark is Celta Vigo winger Pione Sisto. 14 goal involvements last season. Only one Danish player, Eriksen, as expected, uh, had more last season. So he's another outlet for them out wide. Could be quite interesting. Um, but let's look at France now. 76% chance. That is very high. Um, the highest we've heard yet so far. So, I mean, you'd expect them to win this group. It's, it's, they've got such a, a depth of talent in that squad and players who aren't even in the squad. Yeah, I mean, they've left at home. This is just a sample of names. Kingsley Coman, uh, Dimitri Payet, uh, Alexander Lacazette and Adrian Rabiot. Abdoulaye the... Decoré as well, of course. <laughs> of course, yes. Okay, that should have been the first name on my sheet of paper. Yeah, I mean, that really shows the strength and depth that, that France have. They can call up Steven and Zonzi as well, who probably isn't a huge household name, but um, definitely a very so solid defensive midfielder in there as well. And I think that, that strength and depth, um, coupled with the fact that they have, you know, Paul Pogba, Kylian Mbappe, Griezmann, who's had a great season. Um, yeah, they just look look very, very strong. You talk about Griezmann, and in qualification, he scored for and assisted for, which is more than any other player for France. But in qualification, they did struggle, and they, they showed the potential to maybe screw it up a little bit by losing to Sweden and then drawing with Belarus and Luxembourg, strangely. So there's nothing to say that they won't do that again in this group. And we saw that in previous World Cup finals in recent memory where they've gone out in the group stage. Yeah, and just last week we've seen that um, France drew 1-1 with the USA in their, one of their last World Cup warm-up games. And kind of see from that, maybe the squad had just taken time to gel and, and get together. But um, yeah, you definitely don't want a slow start when it comes to the World Cup. Yeah, I think that's the issue. If France individually probably have the best players in their squad, whether or not they can gel as a team is yet to be discovered. So another team in this group, uh, Australia, um, and for me it's all about 38-year-old Tim Cahill, um, who is another player who could score in four different World Cups, like Ronaldo could. Um, and he scored five of Australia's 11 goals at the World Cup, which is 45%, and he's one of nine players to have scored in each of the last three World Cups. Yeah, it seems almost inconceivable that Tim Cahill's not only still playing football, but actually going to the World Cup. But... Um... You know he he's got the ability, I think, and he's he's one of those players that's going to generally turns up in big matches. Um, a header, a, a header, header against yeah. Francis. It's nailed on. Um, I think you can also look at Aaron Moy. He assisted nine goals in qualifying, which was four more than any other Australia player, um, and he also created seventy-seven goal-scoring chances, which was forty-two more than anyone else for Australia. So, you know, a couple of key players. Australia, obviously, they spent so long trying to get to World Cups. They're now a semi-sort of regular team. Um, and I think 
it's not going to phase them this time. It's you know, it's not a a big ask in terms of you know a, a new experience. So I think you know, I think they've got a good chance. Yeah, and they had the longest qualification for the finals, twenty two games, which interestingly started three years to the day um, of their opening game against France. So it was a long period to qualify. The other team in this group, Peru. Welcome back, their captain Paulo Guerrero after his suspension. Um, he was previously top goal scorer at the 2011 and 2015 Copa America tournaments. So even though he's a bit older now, it shows he's a quite a good tournament player, has pedigree there. And I mean, like he had the most touches in the opposition box in South American qualifiers of any player. So he's in and around the area. He's quite an important player to them. So yeah, of course they have, they have Paulo Guerrero, but they also have a, a player which I used to like watching a fair bit when I was younger, Jefferson Farfan. Um, who scored eight goals and three assists in his last 12 appearances for uh, Lokomotiv Moscow in the Russian Premier League. I think that's quite a key point as well. You know, If you've got players in your squad who are used to playing in Russia, used to playing in the stadiums, in, in that environment, then that's obviously going to help you. So another player for Peru that could be uh, quite an important player for them was as Christian Cueva. 41 chances created in South American World Cup qualifying. Only Neymar created more, 42. <laughs> We move on to Group D, which contains Argentina, Iceland, Croatia and Nigeria. And quite interestingly, Nigeria and Argentina have been drawn in the same group again for the fifth time in six World Cup tournaments. Um, so, yeah, Argentina and Nigeria will meet again. But what do the numbers say about these four teams? So, Matt, the numbers say Argentina, favourite for this group, 76% chance of, of moving to the next round. Uh, then we have Croatia, 45% chance. Nigeria, 41% chance. And finally, Iceland, 39% chance. So, kind of two, two teams at the bottom there, Nigeria and Iceland battling it out. But, yeah, I reckon Argentina and Croatia for this group. So, we'll start with Argentina. Obviously... The view is that they're heavily reliant on Lionel Messi. Nine goal involved in qualifying, which is seven goals and two assists, which is five more than any other player for them. And he got them to the finals as well with his hat-trick in the final qualifier away at Ecuador. So do we think Messi, this is his time to win a tournament? Yeah, I mean, it's his last chance, really, I guess. I mean, possibly he could still be playing pretty well in, in four years' time, but you, you can't be sure of it. Um, I think possibly last the last World Cup was his chance. You know, he got Argentina to the final and then... And then they really missed Di Maria in the final, didn't they? So um, I think, as you said, they are relying on Messi. But if Argentina are going to do well and go far, they're going to, you know, obviously need he's going to need help from people like Di Maria, people like Aguero. Yeah, we say that they're going to be relying on Messi, but if you look at the forward line, they've got Gonzalo Higuain, Angel Di Maria, Sergio Aguero, Paulo Dybala, and a young Christian Pavon as well. So they are absolutely stacked up front. Mm, they actually have the oldest squad in terms of average age at this World Cup. So. You could say it could be experience, I guess, but there is a bit of a worry there. They play quite a high line. They've got a weaker defence. That might be a big issue for them. Javier Mascarano is not the same player he was. Um, and then we we talk about Di Maria, but he's never actually assisted a goal at a World Cup finals. He does quite well, but he's actually created the most chances without recording an assist of any player in this tournament, um, 21. So there's hope that he can turn it on and assist Messi a little bit more in this tournament. So another team in this group, Nigeria, probably quite one of the most exciting teams possibly in this tournament. We don't really know what we're going to expect from them. They're a very young squad, actually the youngest on average. Um, they're a fast counter-attacking side. So what, what can we expect from Nigeria? I think we saw in their game with England last week that you know the first half they, they struggled a bit, but they had the wherewithal to change it at half-time and they, and they gave England a really good game in the second half. 
Um, that, you know, as you say, they they average less possession than their opponents in qualifying, um, and they do hit teams on the break. Um, and they've got that really nice kit. So I think. Again, I know I don't want to keep reiterating the point, but for a team like Nigeria, the first game is massive. You know, you, if you can get a draw or a win, then you're really set up. Yeah, looking at their numbers in the qualifiers, they average less possession than their opponents in every game, but they had the most attempts, five, and goals, two, from fast breaks, so they're showing that they counterattack quite quickly. And if Argentina play that high line with what we suggest is maybe a weaker defence, then they could cause Argentina some problems. Uh, moving on, we've got Iceland, who you rate a 39% chance of getting through to the knockout stages. They shocked many at Euro 2016, but can they replicate it again? Um, so what do the numbers say about Iceland? Yeah, so the average is the lowest amount of possession of any European side to qualify uh, to the finals at 41%. Um, and also the lowest expected goals per game of any European side. So expected Best goals... size to qualify, yes. Yeah, yeah, of size to qualify. Um, expected goals, of course, a measure of chance quality. So it tells us how good, uh, a, a, how good a, a potential shot is and how likely it is to result in a goal. And that was 0.62 expected goals on average per game. So very, very low uh, sort of chance quality, but maybe it was just because they were very stout defensively and be able to hit teams at the counter. They are the Stoke of world football. They they play or well, the early Premier League years of Stoke. So 20% of their passes long in qualifiers. That's the most of teams to qualify for the World Cup. Yeah, how many of those were long throws as well from Aaron Gunnarsson? Yeah, he is the Icelandic Rory de Lapp. They, they had the average longest uh, pass distance as well in European qualifiers, 18.6 yards. So they like to pump it long, as, as many say. In their group um, were Croatia, not only in the finals, in qualification as well, they were in their group. Um, they conceded just five goals in 12 qualifiers, so we look at Croatia's team, we probably think quite a creative, quite an attacking side going forward, really exciting players, but actually defensively they're quite decent as well. Yeah, I think the big thing for me with Croatia that's not really been spoken about much is this is kind of the potentially the last tournament for this golden generation. So looking at a few names here, Ivan Perisic, 29 years old, Ivan Rakitic, 30 years old, uh, Luka Modric, 32, Milan Badel, 29, and Mario Mandzukic, of course, 32. So in four years' time, a lot of those guys are going to be sort of mid to late 30s. So this is really their last shot to, to have a good stab at a World Cup. Uh, Mandzukic is obviously a threat in front of goal for Croatia. He's their main outlet up front. Since the start of the 2010-11 season, he scored more league goals in Europe than any other Croatian, 87. And then you've got Luka Modric, obviously. Six assists this season in La Liga. And it's, ne it's the most he's ever recorded in the top five leagues in a single season. Um, and then you've got the, the ball-playing Ivan Rakitic in midfield. 2,253 successful passes in La Liga last season, the most of any player in that competition. Yeah, Croatia seems to me like a team that will probably grow into the tournament. They might find the group stage a bit touch and go, but if they get through to the knockouts, they'll you know they've got all the tools to progress. And we saw that um, way back in in '98 when they got all the way to the semis. I feel like this is probably the most open group. I, I feel like all four teams have diff completely different styles of play. It's quite interesting to see how it will play out. And Croatia, I'd say that they're that sort of team where you look at them and you forget they're almost in the World Cup, and that could be detrimental to. Sort of other teams maybe don't expect Croatia to be there or thereabouts, but they are a strong outfit. Group E has Brazil, Switzerland, Costa Rica, and Serbia, and this is officially the group of death. It's the hardest group in terms of cumulative FIFA ranking. So the total between these four teams is 65 in FIFA ranking. Group of death, Tom. 
Um, so what do the numbers say about the group of death? Yep, so looking at Group E, uh, Brazil have the highest chance of any team to make it right to the round of 16, uh, 80% chance. Uh, Serbia, 43%. Switzerland, 41%. And Costa Rica, 37% chance of making it through to the round of 16. Well, Brazil, favourites to get through to the knockout stages, and that probably is because they've topped their group in each of the last nine World Cup tournaments since 1982. They're also unbeaten in their last 12 World Cup group games, winning 10 and drawing two, and their last defeat in the group phase dates back to 1998 against Norway. So the star man for Brazil, obviously expected to be Neymar. Um, Have we got any numbers on the man? Yeah, definitely. He was involved in five of Brazil's 11 goals at the last World Cup. Obviously, his absence uh, for the semi-final was was fairly dramatic and fairly key. (laughs) Um, And I think, obviously, there's been doubts about his fitness, but in the friendlies in the last week or so, he's actually looked pretty good and and back back to form. And I've got a suspicion that this will be the World Cup he dominates. I just feel like he's at the right age to do it. He's... You know, clearly confident in what he can do, and he seems to. You know, some players perhaps play less well for their international team, but Neymar seems to to be the mm. reverse. And he spent some time out injured domestically towards the end of the season as well, so he could come into this tournament quite fresh, and also well up for it because he's uh, had some time out in the qualifiers. He was involved in more goals than any other player overall in South America: six goals and eight assists. And Brazil were phenomenal in qualifying, um, obviously picking up a lot of points. Tom, yeah. Oh, I mean, one thing we, we always associate with the, the Brazil or the Samba boys, as they are often known, um, is that they're obviously a fairly flair, flair team. But um, looking at the data, they've only had on average 12 dribbles attempted per game, which is fewer than England, Belgium, France and Ghana. So maybe their style is not encapsulated by, you know, fancy take-ons and trying to beat players, but they're actually a, a quite good footballing side. So another team in this group, the second most likely to qualify according to our numbers, are Serbia. Um, only Joshua Kimmich provided more assists in the European qualifiers than Dusan Tadic, who we all know plays for Southampton. Seven assists he had in the qualifiers. And the big man up top, Mitro, will he be on fire at the World Cup tournament? Yep, so Mitro, um, he scored more goals than any other Serbia player en route to the World Cup uh, with six. He also scored a hat-trick against Bolivia uh, the other day in the, the I think for Serbia's final World Cup warm-up game. Um, and obviously he was on fire as well for Fulham in the Championship in their run, eventual run to getting into the Premier League. So since his debut on February the 3rd, Mitro scored more goals than any other player in the Championship with 12. Nice. And uh, another player to look out for Serbia, Adam Lajic. He made 10 assists last season for Torino in Serie A, his most ever in a single campaign in the Italian top flight. Another team who could get through this group, probably behind Brazil, Switzerland. Dunk, have you got anything on them? Yeah, Switzerland, I mean, they're one of the teams that just are nearly always at World Cup, so they don't really ever do much once they're there, but, you know, they're pretty impressive at getting there. So they won all but one of their games in qualifying. Um, the only one they didn't was away at Portugal, which is probably understandable. Uh, only Ericsson at Denmark can create more chances in qualification than uh, Shakiri. Um, the you know their main goal threat is probably Harris Sirovich. Uh He got four goals in twelve appearances, which is not great for a forward. And I think this is um, Switzerland's you know age-old problem at World Cups is that they've never really had a, an out-and-out striker that's going to fire you through to to the latter stages. They obviously in 2006 they didn't concede a goal in the whole tournament, but still went out because they couldn't even score in a penalty shootout. So. <laughs> Um, you, you suspect it'll be a similar story this time around. And the team that, according to our numbers, are set to make up the numbers in this group are Costa Rica. 
obviously they exceeded expectation at the last World Cup and 12 of their squad remain this time around but obviously a lot older yeah I think that's quite telling as well because you know when you have a tournament like Costa Rica did in 2014 it's you know it was so impressive um, you know legend all those players will be legends forever now um, but the danger is that you then you try and repeat it four years later and you're you know you're calling up players who possibly aren't as effective as they were and also it's very rare in World Cup history that a surprise team you know follows it up the following tournament as well yeah, and it, it's like a bit of a worry for them that their main goal threat is probably Joel Campbell, who just hasn't played enough last season. He only played nine times for Betis in all competitions, so yeah, I mean, maybe I, not the best preparation. On the flip side for Joel Campbell, though, obviously he's not really played that much for Betis, but he'll see some. He'll definitely see some time on the field uh, in Russia, and also he's still at Arsenal, um, so maybe he's playing to get into the squad under Unai Emery, or at least he's going to be playing for a move. So. You know, he's one player, probably Jordan Shakiri as well as another, who's probably in the shop window um, and has a chance to impress. So maybe, uh, you know, there's a reason for these guys to, to really grab this World Cup by the scruff of the neck. So we move on to Group F, which contains Germany, Mexico, Sweden and South Korea. Germany are attempting to become the first side since Brazil in 1962 to retain the World Cup. And they're probably better than their team in 2014 as well. But what do the numbers tell us about this group? Yep, so we have Germany again as favourites to top the group, 76%. Um, then Sweden and Mexico very, very close, 44% apiece to go through to the round of 16. And then also, finally, uh, Korea, 36%. So, yeah, German clear favourites, then kind of, I don't know, Sweden or Mexico, but maybe Son Heung-min's career can... can steam through and uh, nick that second spot. There's been some talk that Germany aren't best place coming into this tournament they haven't played too well but we all know full well that when the tournament comes around they kick in and they end up doing really well. So I mean in qualification they they were the only team to win all 10 of their games so maybe it's just that they are they've taken their foot off the gas a little bit to save themselves for the World Cup. Yeah and obviously they have Thomas Muller who loves playing in tournaments. He scored more goals and delivered more assists to the World Cup than any current active player. Um, so I'm expecting more again from him this time around. But it could be the case that Timo Werner plays probably in, in Germany. He's probably one of the most exciting players in that side. He scored 21 goals in all competitions each of his last two seasons with Leipzig. And that's 24, 25 more sorry, than any other player at that club. He scored exactly 21 in both seasons. Exactly 21 in all competitions. Can we expect 21 goals? Maybe Disco scores 21 goals any time he sets up to play within a tournament. He is the football equivalent of the Sosa de Crew and the, the remix of 21 goals. Could be. Maybe not. Um, so your numbers also say that... So it's basically a straight shootout for second place. Mexico and Sweden. Who will get it? Mexico, so Mexico have got to the last 16 in every World Cup since 1994. So what they do is they get through the group and then they go out in the last 16. They're like the salad cream of World Cups. They're, on, they're always on the table. Sandwich cream. Sandwich. Oh, yeah, I haven't kept up with events. Um, they're there, but they don't ever really, you know, make much of an impression. So I think, you know, this might be the, the time they actually fail to do so. Because I think Sweden actually, you know, they, they were good in the group stages, generally in World Cups. They were unbeaten in the last nine group games at World Cups. Um, and they haven't lost in the first round of the competition since June 1990 against Costa Rica. Hmm. And they knocked out Italy in the playoffs. It shows how organised they are and how hard to beat they can be. Interestingly, they're quite similar to their Scandinavian neighbours, Iceland, in that 17% of their passes were long in qualifying, which is the second most of qualified teams. 
33% of their attempts in the qualifiers came from set pieces, which was the most of all European qualifiers, and 41% of their goals came from set pieces. So I guess they'll be relying on Seb Larson to be delivering those balls in. Going back to Mexico, I guess we have to talk about Rafa Marquez. Um, I think he's about 85 now and could appear in his fifth different World Cup finals tournament. And that would equal the record currently held by Antonio Carbajal of Mexico and Lothar Mateus of Germany. Lothar Mateus, famously long career. My favourite stat about him is that he played at both Euro 80 and Euro 2000, which is good. Disgusting. That is not. That should not be allowed. A key player to look out for Mexico, uh, Herving Lozano, at PSV last season where they secured the Dutch title. He scored the most goals for them, 17, and had the most assists, 8. So, yeah, if he can bring that form into the World Cup, then maybe Mexico have a good chance of qualifying. And don't forget uh, Javier Hernandez as well, who's actually scored three goals from four shots on target World Cups, which is a pretty hefty conversion rate. Yeah, and he needs one more goal to equal their top scorer in World Cup history. Uh, Luis Hernandez has four at the moment. But we all know Mexico, they always make it through the group stages, only to be knocked out in the second round. They've done it in every... World Cup since 1994, and no team has ever been knocked out at this stage as often as Mexico. So I guess, throw your prediction out the window, Tom. Mexico are going to finish second and then go out in the second round. Well, not unless Korea have something to say about it, of course. They have the aforementioned uh, Song Hoang Min. Uh, he scored 18 goals and then assisted 11 more for Spurs in, in this just season just gone. So uh, he's in, in red-hot form. Um, and sadly, though, South Korea failed to score in five of the last nine qualifiers, so maybe they're not firing all cylinders going to the tournament. So we move on to the group that we all care about the most, England's group, Group G, where England will come up against Belgium, Panama and Tunisia. Quite interestingly, Belgium and England were unbeaten in European qualifiers. Only Germany and Spain also did this. So two of the top teams in European qualifiers come up in this group. What do the numbers say, Tom Warville? So, Matt, we have uh, Belgium, most likely to go through 66% chance of qualifying. Uh, then we have England, 54% chance of qualifying to the round of 16. Then Tunisia, 41%, and Panama, 39%. So... Belgium and England, the top two here. Okay, so a lot of people listening to this will wonder why England, compared to some of the other countries we've listed, are as low as, as just over 50%. Is that because, you know, the last World Cup where they went out in the group stage, is that having a big effect? I think, I mean, the, the model is based off previous results, and I think that really there's potentially a heightened public perception of how good England are. And going into this tournament, we are a fairly young squad. We're fairly inexperienced. We've not really blown teams away. So I think attacking-wise... We don't look that good, but our sort of defensive strength is actually quite good. So, um, yeah, I don't think we should be too bullish on England, but um, the chance is probably fair for 54%. Yeah, you talk about inexperience, and England actually, of the 23 players in their squad, they only have 11 World Cup appearances between them. That is the lowest of any side to have played in 2014 and in this tournament. So it's kind of a fresh start for them. And they also have the third youngest average age in their squad behind France and Nigeria. So... It's kind of one of those ones where the expectations aren't high. Um, we know that we could maybe grow into something here and hopefully we hope for maybe a knockout stage appearance. Um, we should get through this group. But, I mean, we have two players who have had great form at domestic level this season. Harry Kane with 30 Premier League goals, his best ever goal-scoring season in the Premier League, and Raheem Sterling, 18 Premier League goals, 11 Premier League assists, both his career highs. So they come into the back of this tournament off their best ever league season and then 
also Delhi Alley, 10 assists. It was his best tally in a Premier League season. So I think maybe... Uh, yeah, I think England was surprising for some people, you know, non-English people, when they see them just because they, you know, Southgate has changed it. They're playing three at the back. You know, their pass completion rates and numbers of passes a game is way different to previous tournaments. And... You, I, you do wonder whether after one bad result it, it'll always revert back to the usual but I think some people will be surprised at the way England are approaching games mm. My worry about England is that Harry Kane if he gets injured or suspended Jamie Vardy as good as he is uh, in my opinion will replace him he just isn't set up for this team the team isn't set up to play that way against Holland Jamie Vardy played 22 minutes didn't touch the ball once Against uh, Costa Rica, he played 60 minutes and touchable 10 times. And, I mean, 10 times in, what, nearly a whole game there. Yeah, it's I pretty mean, low. it's kind of Vardy's game, I guess. So this season in the Premier League, he had the fewest shots of any season he's had um, so far. And he's also involved in the fewest number of um, sequences that ended in a shot uh, for Leicester. So essentially, he was involved uh, few and far between. But when he was, they were, they were usually sort of high-quality, high-value chances. So... Um, probably not one for if England are chasing a game but if they're trying to sort of hold a lead sit back and, and break on the counter maybe Vardy's the man for that I think that's one thing England have a lot of pace and that could be a weapon that they will utilise at the World Cup so the other team that is expected to probably go through this group are Belgium if not to win the group um, they've got a lot of attacking threats well known to England fans so uh, what can we expect from Belgium? Yeah, of course, a name that will be familiar to many. Kevin De Bruyne uh, created the most chances and registered the most assists of any Premier League player in 17-18. So he's definitely one that we need to nullify right there, really. Uh, Romelu Lukaku as well was involved in 23 Premier League goals, which was 16 assists, sorry, 16 goals and seven assists. And of course, we know Eden Hazard as well. So uh, Belgium are fairly stacked. Um, they were able to leave Raja Golan for better or for worse at home. Um, obviously, a very very talented player. So maybe one thing we can bank on with Belgium is that they're not super. Um, good at the back. I mean, they've got Thomas Marlon, who's been out with his injury problems, Toby Alderweireld injured, uh, only maybe Yang Vertonghen's the, the long-standing defender in that, in that team. Plus they're managed by Roberto Martinez, not a man known for defensive prowess. Um, next up in this group, Tunisia. Uh, they won their first ever game at the World Cup in June 1978 against Mexico, but since then they failed to win any of their 11 subsequent games in the competition. Um, so, I mean, they, I saw them against Spain recently. They lost 1-0, but were quite tight defensively. So they could frustrate teams in Russia. Yeah, I think also Tunisia, they were unbeaten in the final round of African World Cup qualifiers. Uh, they won four and drawn two. And they only conceded four goals in those games. So, you know, they're, they're decent. Um, and obviously playing England first up, that's a repeat of the 1998 World Cup. And if you remember that game, although it was a fairly comfortable 2-0 one for England in the end, it took quite a while to you know break them down. Yeah, and England sometimes struggle against teams that defend quite deep and they can't break them down and panic sets in a little bit. So, yeah, if England don't take the lead in that game, it could be a bit of a worry. Um, I don't expect any such worries against Panama. Um, they made it to Russia with a negative goal difference qualifying in the final group. Um, minus one, and they won only three of their ten games in the last round of CONCACAF qualifying. Yeah, I think Panama will be very much the kind of people's choice for a lot of a lot of folk because, you know, it's a quite a romantic uh, story. My dream is that they get to play Egypt in some sort of canal-based Classico, but it seems unlikely looking at the structure of the groups. Um, but yeah, you're right, I think they're probably the weakest team in this group, and the fact they're playing Belgium first is not a good thing for them. Yeah, the other thing that's going for Panama is that they are a, a very experienced side. They've got the most 
uh, cumulative international caps in their squad, but none at a World Cup. So they've got several players with over 80, over 90 caps. So, you know, maybe that'll suit them well. Um, there are a few players that are familiar to uh, that play in MLS or have played in MLS recently. So for anyone listening who's familiar with that league, you'll know uh, Blas Perez or... Um, Mario as well, who plays for New York Red Bulls, who's a very solid right back who's linked with uh, Europe a fair bit as well. So, yeah, a couple of uh, recognisable players, but like Duncan's saying, probably more of a people's choice uh, wildcard, really. So, the final group is Group H, which contains Poland, Senegal, Colombia, and Japan. What do the numbers say about Group H? I mean, for me, this is probably the group of death, and it's kind of backed up by the model, actually, as well, uh, luckily. So we have Colombia to win this group, 55%. Then Japan, 52%. Uh, Poland, to get to the next round, is 48%. And Senegal, 46%. So really, really tight group. Um, a lot of interesting snippets about this team. So Colombia uh, missed the highest percentage of big chances in uh, South America qualifying, 72% of them. So maybe there are some issues there with them being clinical in front of goal. Um, Senegal actually have a, a really deep squad. So they've got um, Sadio Mane, of course, of Liverpool, um, Kalidou Koulibaly of, of Napoli, a very good ball-playing centre-back and a threat of set pieces. So wherever you look in this group, there are interesting players. The teams all, I guess, might play different styles of play as well. Yeah, I think the four teams here, different confederations, different styles of play completely. And you're talking about Senegal have a bit of depth. In the final round of qualifiers in Africa, they had eight different goal scorers and no other nation had more. So it shows that they got goals all around the pitch and don't rely on one uh, set player. But we know about some of the goal threat they have. Sadio Mane, obviously, has had a great season domestically um, and will be hoping to hit this tournament uh, like he has in, in the Premier League this season. Um, Colombia, I mean, last World Cup, they were brilliant and only got knocked out by host Brazil. James Rodriguez was fantastic in that World Cup. Um, he was involved in eight of the team's last ten goals at World Cup Finals. Six goals, two assists. And in qualifying, again, six goals. Had four assists, 25 chance grade, all highs for Colombia. So a lot goes through him. Have they got any weaknesses, do you think, Colombia? Yeah, weaknesses probably Ospina being in goal. I mean, you know, Arsenal fans will know that he didn't have the most reliable season in various cups for them. Uh, he made two errors for opposition goals in South American qualifiers, which was more than any other player. Um, so, yeah, he'll need to, to keep his hands near the ball. And we might see, or we've seen in domestic uh, league football that returned to form for Falcao really um, and it'd be nice to see him do quite well at this World Cup as well since the start of 2016-17 uh, only Cavani uh, 63 goals has scored more goals in the French top flight than Falcao with 39 so possibly with James Rodriguez doing a lot of the work Falcao can finish it off for them yeah that's definitely a good point. I think this is definitely a group to, to keep an eye on those sort of centrepiece attacking players. So looking at Poland, of course, have Robert Lewandowski, who um, recently was potentially trying to angle for a move away from the Allianz Arena in Munich. Um, he's the uh, Poland's top goal scorer in the uh, World Cup qualifiers with 16 goals, and he netted 16. Uh, well, he netted. And he netted 57% of all those goals. So out of the, the 28 that Poland scored, he's got 16. And that's the highest proportion of any player in European qualifiers. So maybe they rely on Lewandowski a little bit too much, but he's a very uh, very key attacking player for them. But it's his first World Cup, and he hasn't really set the world alight in previous international tournaments. He only scored two goals in eight games for Poland at the European Championship Finals. So maybe he's just one of those players who's domestically really good, internationally really good in qualifiers, but as it comes to final tournaments, just doesn't do it. He's the Wayne Rooney of Poland. And the final team in Group H are a team that have come into the tournament in a bit of disarray. Japan, 
Um, they sacked their previous manager in April, just two months before the World Cup finals. And Akira Nishino has taken charge of them, who was actually in charge of them in the 1996 Summer Olympics, and he failed to get them out of the group stages. So maybe, well, are we expecting that to happen again, do you think, this time? Yeah, I wonder if they, they need to lean on Kaisuke Honda, their talisman, a bit too much. Um, he's looking to score for a third World Cup tournament in a row for Japan, uh, and he was div- directly involved in 14 goals in 17 games in the Mexican Primera. Did not know he was playing in Mexico. Uh, netting seven goals and seven assists, and only two players had more. So, um, yeah, he's, he's one sort of key attacking player for them, but... Yeah. yeah, they had quite a solid qualification campaign. Only lost two of their qualification games, and one of those in the a dead rubber in the final game against Saudi Arabia. I mean, Japan are you know they're very experienced at this level. They you know they know what a World Cup is about. Um, with the size of Russia, how big it is, it's not. It's possibly less of a foreign World Cup than some for Japan. Um, but and also, I remember Matt being a bit. Uh, upset when the model had Japan as a higher chance to win the tournament than England. Yeah. Is that still the case? Japan. We'll, we'll find out, but get the tissues ready, Matt. <laughs> so we've talked about each group and how many, what the chances are of them qualifying for the next round. But overall in the tournament, we haven't talked yet about who we think are going to win the tournament and who's going to be there or thereabouts. So, Tom, have you got the numbers about the whole tournament prediction? Yeah, so I think our favourite for the World Cup, uh, like many others, is Brazil. Um, So we have Brazil at a 13% chance of winning the whole thing. After them, we have Germany, 11% chance of winning. Argentina, 10%, along with France, 10%, and Spain, 9%. So those are sort of the key the key runners uh, those, for this World Cup. Yeah, those teams are quite far ahead of everyone else, aren't they? So if you're going to put your money on the World Cup, put it on those teams. Um, but... Dark horse, if you, if you want to put your money on a dark horse, the best bet, according to our predictor, is? Belgium. So Belgium at 4% um, are potentially a, a dark horse. People have laughed at me before for saying they're a dark horse because they're so well known. Um, I kind of wonder if if the sort of smart money is a bit further down the list and maybe um, on a Colombia or, or even a Portugal. So Portugal, 3%. Or on uh, England. <laughs> Colombia, 3%. Oh, how could we forget England? So, yeah, if we get onto England, um, our model ranks them as having a 2% chance of winning. So for every 50 World Cups, we'd win one. Um, so, yeah, these numbers might seem low to you all, but you have to think we're obviously splitting 100% by 32 teams here. So no team has a very high value. I mean, Brazil with 13% seems quite high, but then it's kind of after the top... Five or six teams, everyone else is three to one percent, really, isn't it? So these numbers might sound quite low, but as Tom said, one in 50 chance of winning the World Cup for England, that maybe doesn't sound so bad. It's kind of what fans would expect, really. Yeah, I mean, also a lot of people will be comparing this to, to bookmaker odds, of course, and of course, Bucky's at this time are trying to really leverage on fans, be getting the belief, the, the sort of tournament Matt Furness mindset of we're mm. going to win it, we're going to win the World Cup. Tabloid Furness. Yeah, and we'll, uh, they'll sort of boost up the, the odds there to get you know people to put money on. So maybe the, the odds aren't a true reflection of how likely England are to win, to win the whole thing. Because I'm currently recording this podcast with St. George's Fag on paint on my face so uh, I'm really in for it England are definitely going to win the World Cup yeah I wish you put your top back on Um, (laughs) so right at the bottom of the 
the sort of ranking. So we have Morocco, the least likely team to win this World Cup. Who'd have thunk it? Um, 0.05% chance of winning. So a less than 1% chance less of winning this Panama. World Cup. Less than Panama. Less than Panama. They have a harder group, don't they? They don't have England in their group. Yeah, they, don't, they don't have mighty England in their group, sadly. So we have to least likely Morocco, second to least likely Panama, and third to least likely is Tunisia. So England really do... You know, it's kind of in their favour to get out of this group, and it would be, uh, you know, a bit of a shambles if they don't manage it. But yeah, two percent for England right there. Cool. So just for all the England fans out there, can we talk about what chances we give them of progressing to each stage, maybe of the tournament? Yeah, let's go for it. So, um, of course, as we said before, we've got a fifty-four percent chance of reaching the round of sixteen. Um, then afterwards, our model thinks we have a twenty-seven percent chance of getting through to the quarter-final. That's kind of what people, I think, expect the quarter-final. I think we, I think every England fan, really realistically, would be happy to get to the quarter-finals. That'd be a good tournament with a young squad. Yeah. Um, so twenty, what is it? Twenty-seven percent. Yeah. So essentially, that's just sort of a, roughly one in four. Um, and we've kind of, kind of got a, just over a coin flip's worth of, of getting to the round of 16. So these aren't, you know, they're not uh, they're not stats against us, the odds. Um, this definitely doesn't look super easy, but we'd do that anyway. So I think that people thinking uh, a good tournament to get to the quarters is, is fair enough. Um, to get to the semis, 11% chance. So, uh, you know, one in 10 World Cups there, we're, we're hopefully going to make the semis. To make the final, 5%. And then once out the final, can we win the whole thing? Overall, it's a, a 2% chance. So, um yeah, by no means so, huge favourites. So maybe it's worth also alongside England talk about Russia, of course, home nation. Um, so we, we do factor in the model whether the team are the home nation or not. So we can see that uh, for the round of 16, there's a 51% chance of them getting through the group. And then the quarters, 23%. Uh, semis, 10%. Finals, just less than 5%. And then to win the whole thing, uh, less than 2% chance. So not, you know, not heavily favoured at all. And, and actually, um, they're nearly... Well, they're, they're likely to become second in their group at, at 26% versus 25% to win their group. So, um, yeah, again, an upper, uphill struggle for Russia, not playing that well, as we said before, coming into the tournament. So, many people might be wondering, do we have a chance of an African World Cup winner this time around? Which African team do we give the best chance to? I'll let you guess, Matt. Who do you think? Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Nigeria. <laughs> yep. Very, very good guess. It's almost like you're watching my screen. <laughs> so for Nigeria, we have them at about 1.5% chance of winning the World Cup. Um, so that's from their group to get to the round of 16, a 41% chance. Uh, to get to the quarters, 18% chance. Uh, semis, 8%. Finals, 3%. And then to win the whole thing, just about 1.5%. So yeah, they could be our, our first ever African winners of the World Cup, but um, by no means are they really a fancied side. Brilliant. So what we'll do is we'll recap this at the end of the tournament and see how we've done with our predictions. Um, from our, from our uh, yeah our beach on our island that we've managed to yes. buy from all of our winnings. Definitely. So earlier in the podcast, Duncan set you all a question, and now it's time for Duncan to answer that said question. It certainly is. So the question was, in since 1966, which two England players have scored more than one headed goal at World Cups? Any guesses? Matt Upson v Germany. That's one. Where, where was Matt Upson's other famous goal? Oh, sorry, I should have listened. <laughs> Always listen to the question. Um, so the two players are, perhaps not that surprisingly, Jeff Hurst. Um, and maybe more surprisingly, or more sneakily, David Platt. Platty. Okay, so definitely not Matt Upson. Sorry, Matt. Yeah, sorry. 
So thanks for listening to this episode of The Only Stat That Matters. I hope we've given you enough worthwhile ammunition to sound knowledgeable ahead of the kickoff. We'll be hitting with podcasts regularly throughout the tournament to give you updates on how, why, and what has been happening in Russia. So make sure you subscribe and you won't have to worry about missing out. Please give us a rating on iTunes and definitely give us some feedback on Joe on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for Dunk and Tom for joining me this week. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Matt. And I've been Matt Furness, your host for this preview. <laughs>